0: The Jewish people read the Torah, the Five Books of Moses, on an annual schedule from beginning to end, from beginning in the beginning to the very end and the death of Moses. The Five Books of Moses, our Torah, are divided into smaller sections. Which we call a parsha. We have to get all the way through all five books every year. There are sections of the Jewish world, parts of the Jewish world, that now read one third of each week's parsha section every year. So, we are on a triennial cycle, meaning we read all of the text over three years, but we always go through the same cycle year after year. I'm explaining that because the last few weeks, we have been been reading from the section in Exodus that tells about the freedom of the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds and the walking across, followed by the drowning of the Egyptian army chasing after the children of Israel, and then the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. This week, this very week, we start to read all the laws that the Jewish people are expected to obey and observe in order to make the world a better place. That's what the whole idea of the Ten Commandments and all of the other commandments are all about. The Jewish people accepted a challenge at Mount Sinai, the commandment, the the um, covenant, if you will, with God, with Hashem, to repair the world, to pursue justice, and to love our neighbor as we would ourselves the christian world refers to what i just said as the golden mean do unto others as you would have them do unto you in the jewish world after the destruction of the second temple hillel one of the most famous of the early Jewish sages said what amounted to in Hebrew as if I am for myself alone, what am I? I have to be for myself because I'm human and I need to look after myself. But if I only look after myself, what am I? So what does that really result in? The whole purpose is for us to see the rest of the world, human and animal and plant kingdoms, not as our domain to rule over, but to share and to work towards the betterment of our world. In order to love someone else as we would love ourselves, we have to be empathetic. We have to be able to see the world through the eyes of the other person. How do we develop empathy? What does it look like? in school because I used to tell my students, my teachers in training classes, that we become better teachers when we can see the world through the eyes of our students. Because when we do that, we give our students dignity. We give them confidence. We show them that they matter. So, how do we develop that empathy? What does it look like in the classroom, in any classroom? Well, first of all, it involves understanding when a child comes through the door and doesn't want to look up and throws their books down on their desk and pushes their way around outside that there's issues there, that we have to try and understand what makes them so upset and what can we do to help them. It matters, for instance, when they introduce themselves to one another. I used to go through an exercise at the beginning of every year and make sure I could pronounce the names of my students, first and last names, correctly. Because if I mispronounce their names, it's a a message of I don't care enough to say it properly. And I would ask them how they wanted to be called. You know there are lots of kids that are Daniels, but they don't want to be called Daniel. They're Dan or Danny. And Christopher can be Chris or Christine or Chrissy or all of those different variations. And I would tell my students, how do you want me to introduce you? How do you introduce yourself to someone else outside? And that's the way they want to be called. We have to acknowledge the other, the otherness. Another way is to provide our students with experiences that enable them to look into the world around them and look at the world and see what the problems are. We should be talking about issues that are, are, are happening in our community, in our uh, neighborhoods, in other families in the school and helping the students understand how they can help another person. I used to try to read books to my students that would help them understand another part of the world. Unfortunately, this week, which, by coincidence, included Holocaust, uh, International Holocaust Memorial Day, also included the banning of a book that is written from the point of view of someone whose family members were victims of the Holocaust. And the parents in this community found that they wanted that book to be withdrawn from the library. It's not the kind of book that you would read aloud to a whole class. But there are students who are curious and want to understand the experiences. If we take books off of shelves, because there's something in that book that we don't understand, then what's the message we're giving to our students? One of the first signs that Germany was heading down a very dangerous path before the Second World War was what became known as Kristallnacht when the Germans rampaged through the cities in Germany and broke the windows in the synagogues and took the Torah scrolls and and burned them. And another event when they had piles of books outside and they burned the books because they taught the wrong things. Those only send messages of not tolerating, not understanding, not showing empathy. If we want our children to be empathetic, we have to be able to see the world through the eyes of the other, not just the eyes of ourselves. We live in an increasingly heterogeneous world. Every classroom has kids from all over the world. There was a time when every classroom was white, wherever you went. Now, not at all. In Toronto, which is only 80 miles from me, it is one of the most multicultural cities in the world. There are classrooms in which there are dozens of languages being spoken at home. And we have to have programs so that those students can learn English as well. But how do we help them feel a part of the world that they find themselves in? We have to develop empathy. We have to understand the world that they've come from. There are all kinds of books that do that. And we owe it to our students to show them these books and give them opportunities to read about them and think about them. We cannot ever repair the world and make our world better if we say certain things kids can't have any access to. It's wrong. It's bad. You don't have to give everybody access to the same thing, but by the same token, you don't need to eliminate access. One of the most popular books ever written, Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, and there are schools where people have said they don't want... That book in the library. They don't want their kids to read that book. And instead of banning books, one should wonder what is in there that will damage children. What is in a book like To Kill a Mockingbird that children shouldn't be exposed to? And if we find that there are pockets in this world where they don't want children to be exposed to some things, then we have to have flares go up and say something is not right. There should be no such thing as banning a book. You might not want children to read certain books at certain ages. That's different. You might want them to read a book when they're older that deals with a more mature subject. But generally speaking, if kids don't understand what they're reading, they put it aside. They'll only read what they understand. But then when they read what they understand, they should have an avenue to ask questions, to learn more, to come to understand, because that's the way in which we develop empathy. Empathy is one of the most important dispositions we as individuals can ever, ever acquire. And the more people we can help to be more empathetic, the better our world will be.